we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Wednesday, October 6th, CSI, the global phenomenon, opens a brand new chapter in Las Vegas. And an existential threat calls the crime lab's legacy and future into question. A brilliant new team of investigators will enlist the help of friends from the past as they deploy the latest forensic techniques to do what they do best, follow the evidence, in order to preserve and serve justice in Sin City and uncover the truth. CSI Vegas series premiere Wednesday, October 6th on CBS. Still snowbound uh, here in North Carolina, if you can believe it, with uh, little to do but comb the archives of the National Library of Quebec. Uh, a couple of articles caught my attention from last month uh, having to do with uh, pedophiles who operated in the 80s and 90s, and, and before you get your hopes up, no, this is not a setup for the end of the episode and uh, where I revealed that these these guys were somehow responsible for activities. Um, we've been discussing the eight murders. I'm not uh, I'm a magician, unfortunately. But anyway, so um, apparently uh, the Sarté de Québec had a pedophile operation in a place called Operation Malaise, where they, um, from that they convicted um, 15 pedophiles in the Quebec region. And, and this article is about two of them, these two guys, uh, Roger Lapage, uh, Jean-Marc Sehelard. They're both in their late 60s, 70s now, um, and most of their activities were against young boys in, um, in the 80s and 90s. It says here the Quebec's investigation was uh, into computer-savvy child pornography network through which, in some cases, pedophiles exchanged written accounts of how they had sexually abused children in the past. And uh, apparently it says that um, um, Saint-Hilaire and Lapage's written accounts were so detailed, SQ investigators were able to track down their past victims of sexual abuse with ease, even though in, uh, in some of it occurred more than two decades uh, ago. It's interesting. These guys, the maximum they got, uh, they got five years, uh, well, three years in Saint Hilaire's case, um, but also they were um, labeled a, a designation that's that's called a long-term offender. And with this, they can they can um, they can extend extend the parole restrictions beyond you know from the time they get out after three or five years, which allows them, I I, I guess, in theory. Um, some time to attempt some interventions uh, for uh, rehabilitation. Although uh, Lepage is seventy, was seventy six. Uh, um, well, last year he's yeah he's seventy six. Uh, I, I don't I don't see much hope for rehabilitation. Although you're somewhat hopeful that if they're maybe they 
they aged out of it and didn't offend in the 2000s in the, in the, in the aughts is that what we call that in the, the tens the, the, the second one is a younger guy a guy named Philippe uh, Truchon 37 and I'm look I'm not going to post their photos up there um, I'm not Dateline NBC I, I actually really feel uncomfortable talking about these things uh, but given the territory we've been gone into I feel somewhat somewhat obligated um, not as I say to point the finger particularly at these 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 offenders, but to um, possibly say, okay, if we're going to understand the mindset, this is this is who we're this is who we're dealing with. And in the in the case of Truchon, thirty-seven of Longuet, well, we've heard that name before, right? Um, uh, there's evidence that he approached online two hundred and eighty-five teenage girls through social networks like Facebooks, and uh, a witness in the trial described him as a as a ticking time bomb. He too, um, <clears throat> I think he got, uh, he got three years, but again, with a long-term offender designation, which means, you know, f- more um, strident monitor, monitoring on his, on his release. Um, here's, here's the kind of guy that um, um, Trishon was. So he'd, he'd approach girls between, 14 and 17 um, online and uh, say to them that they were going to have sex with him uh, whether they whether they wanted to or not and that by the end of it the girl in one case she would be so much in so much pain that she would wish she were dead and fortunately I mean these appear to be very Smart young women. I mean, in almost all cases, they filed a complaint within uh, within days to several police agencies, and that's how the, the police were able to uh, put things together and make a, make an arrest in uh, Truchon's case. Um, you know, matching up these offenders with the victims, if. You, you were to ask me to do it, I, you, you might as well ask me to construct a watch. I, I, I have no way of doing it, and that's, that's really not um, um, my area of expertise. My, my, my goal, my focus here is to inform, uh, enlighten about um, some unsolved cases that um, slowly through time have become more and more forgotten. This is Who Killed Teresa. I'm your host, John Allure. And for this episode, we're going to focus on the case of uh, Melanie Cabet. And if we go back to the uh, La Presse article, December 1999, eight murders unsolved in the region. So uh, Cabet is the sixth case. She comes uh, two years and a couple of months after the disappearance and murder of Marie-Ève uh, Larivier. So um, Cabet's case is in June of 1994. 
and I'll briefly uh, read the summary from the 99 article that references Cabet. It says uh, Melanie Cabet, 19 years of age, from Montreal, um, was abducted the 22nd of June, 1994. Um, the, her corpse, the corpse of the young um, uh, woman, is, was finally discovered the 5th of July. Um, um, she was disposed under construction materials in Mascouche, Quebec. She had been beaten and strangled. And that's, that's all it says. But, you know, in, in sifting through the detritus of um, news archives, we learn a whole lot more. So these are some of the facts um, surrounding the, the disappearance of um, uh, Melanie Cabet. So to begin with, uh, she's 19 years old, 5 feet, about 100 pounds, long, long dark hair. Um, if you see the photos of her, they're, they're quite obviously from her, they're, they're her graduation photos, probably from the year prior. In the one photo, she's holding her diploma and the other holding like a bouquet of, uh, of, of flowers. And um, as it says, she disappears Wednesday, June 22nd, uh, 1994, around, she's last seen around 1.30 uh, in, in the morning. Um, she had been wearing that night uh, jeans and a black t-shirt, apparently. And uh, so Tuesday night, you know, late at night, she, she goes to a friend's to see, um, they decide to play cards and to, to watch like an old Robert Altman movie um and then the, it, at the friend's apartment his name's david uh Mounier. and he lives in Ahuntsic, which is uh, another neighborhood in the in the east end of montreal um at uh, 1405 uh, rue belanger um so they they spend the night there and there's another friend there and um a friend named uh, antonin uh, favran in, in in some cases um He's identified as uh, Jean, uh, Jean-Hugues Robert. It's two different articles identify the other party as being one or the other. Not sure which it was. Um, I believe it was Favon. And Favon and Cabet leave together. Um, and uh, at the corner of uh, Bas- uh, Basilet, Rottier, and Fleury, um, she's standing there with Antonin and um, she's cold. So he offers her his his gray sweater. And that's about the last time that um, he, he anyone sees her. Um, it's uh, it was believed her intention was to take um, the night bus, the 361 night bus at the corner of just just down from there at Barry and Fleury. And uh, that bus would have traveled um, down Saint Denis, you know, set, uh, heading east south, depending on how you look at it, to take her to her home where she lived uh, part of the time on the island of Montreal with her with her mother and uh, mother and father and divorced. Um, other part of the time, she lived with her father in Riviere de, uh, de Prairie, which is off the island of Montreal. Um, so it, the, the, the bus driver was later interviewed, um, by investigators and he noted that he did not see, uh, Melanie on the bus that night. 
So uh, almost immediately, the police step in. Uh, because it's a Montreal case, it's the Montreal Police Force. We all know them. Um, um, and the family has a lot of support. Uh, a lot of volunteers come out. A lot of, of Melanie's friends come out. Um, and they start to canvas the area, you know, putting up the, all these uh, missing missing persons posters with Melanie's photo on it from the graduation. Um they, they search the woods in local parks. Um, particularly, they search the woods of uh, Saint-Sulpice at the corner of La, La Gadra, uh, Jarande and um, uh, Christophe Calland um, because Melanie um, worked at a dépanneur there um, and it was opened all night. So um, it was thought that her employers, there was a check owing that was outstanding in her paycheck, and possibly she decided to walk to the dépanneur, pick up her paycheck, and then take the bus home to her her mother's uh, her mother's house. Um, and I would say it's it's a pretty long walk from from the. Uh, David uh, Mounier's apartment to where she lived. I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing like 30, 40 blocks, something like that, when I looked at it on my map. You, you would take the bus at 1.30 in the morning. I don't think you'd, you'd walk the, the entire way. And um, her friends note that, that Melanie was, in their words, very prudent, and she would never, ever get into um, uh, a stranger's car. And and from from the outset, uh, her mother has to continue to insist that um, Melanie would never run away. And of course, with all these cases, the case in my sister's case, although you know, from seventy eight uh, all the way up to the two thousand seven disappearance of uh, Cedrica Provence Shea, that continuum is consistent of parents and having to relate to police forces over and over again within the first 48, my case, sister's case, I don't know, the first seven days, that she would never, she would never run away. Um, and, and, and as evidence of this, she, she, they, she cites that she was intending to spend um, the following evening with her father, um, she was looking forward to um, a trip that summer with a close friend. They were going to go on a trip, um, I believe, either you know another part of Canada or the U.S. And further, that she had uh, Melanie had purchased a very expensive uh, ticket to the Montreal Jazz Festival, and uh, so Melanie's mother says this is not the type of behavior you would expect for someone with the intention of uh, being in French, they call it in fugue, uh, a runaway. In the days that follow, um, the, the volunteers and friends, they begin putting up posters in um, the surrounding regions of Montreal. So now they're, the, the locus is expanding. And so they're, they're putting up po- posters to the north in the Laurentians, uh, in in the eastern townships, Quebec City region, Abitibi, these places, 
Um, and again, the mother is, continues to insist that one of the police's theory that she simply ran away is, um, is, is not so. And by, by three or four days into the matter, the mother states flat that she believes that Melanie was abducted. After a week, they've uh, distributed more than 4,000 posters and um, friends donate paper and and a photo copier in order to expand the the effort. One of her friends they they use his apartment as a sort of a headquarters to to corral volunteers, etc. Somebody gets the idea to contact local taxi companies and to have Melanie's photo placed in the cabs. And. Um, Several volunteers are quoted that with such an effort, they believe that that the the only possible outcome will be that Melanie will be found alive. Um, And friends as well continue to state that she is not part of her victimology or behavior uh, uh, patterns to run away. She had she, she had nothing to flee from. She had everything to look forward to. Now, in addition, I, I don't want to completely discount the Montreal police. They do their work too. They, um, they receive and follow up on 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 fifty phone calls, tips. Um, they they establish like a ground mobile uh, headquarters uh, at the corner of Barry and Fleury, where the where she was purported believed to possibly take the bus, and they canvass door to door the 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 neighborhood. Um, by June 29th, uh, things are, are looking grim, and the dossier is officially transferred to the Montreal Police's homicide unit. And um, with the, the first week of the disappearance ended, uh, the newspaper La Presse finally runs an article uh, suggesting a connection between Melanie's disappearance um, and s- referencing several several recent abductions. So th- this this article, in addition to referencing the um, the the young boy abductions uh, of uh, Willie Lubin and Sebastian uh, Metevier, which were well well publicized really well-known cases it also mentions the uh the disappearance and murder of Marie-Ève Laravier and then it goes on to mention two cases that I was not familiar with um and I'll just uh I'll give you the brief details that it discusses the first is uh, of uh, Marie-Claude Coté 17 years of age she's she's abducted on uh October 13th 1991 uh, from the uh, parking lot of uh, a bar called uh, La Barina, which is in the uh, Cote Saint Paul region of of Montreal, and uh, in the parking lot of uh, La Barina, they find one of her shoes, and they find evidence of her of her blood. And about a month later, her body is found floating in the Saint Lawrence River. The second uh, case they talk about is Chantelle Brochou, who's 22 years old, who is also abducted from a bar, uh, La Clandestina, 
on uh, September 19, 1992, so just short of a year later. And her body's found uh, the next day in Outremont, um, and uh, she's strangled, and a reward is offered. And if you're asking me um, what else, well, I don't know. Maybe we'll uh, dig deeper into these cases. Maybe, although, I, you know, the, the the span of control here is and is and will, as you will see, is getting already out of hand with the cases. Um, so we'll we'll have to see. But apparently, um, investigators of the Montreal police were already um, looking into the possibility of one killer in the case of Marie-Claude and uh, Chantel. Uh, but they said they also felt that it included other cases. So then they go on to reference uh, uh, 24-year-old Danielle Laplante and 34-year-old Claire Sampson, who in May 1990 um, had been sexually assaulted and murdered in a, a, a boutique in Outremont. The article goes on to say that in, in 1993, the uh, Montreal Police Force registered 5,700 disappearances of youths under 18 years of age. And then they also go on to say that 4,000 of these were runaways and that 5% uh, were abductions at the hands of parents and they they conclude by saying that less than two out of 100 of these cases were stranger abductions as as if to suggest that this is a very very rare occurrence to which i say well, hold on a minute um, depending on how you do the math if you're basing that Two out of one hundred off the the five thousand four hundred, or if you're basing off it off what was left after the four thousand and the five percent, which is a fourteen hundred fifteen, you either have um, one hundred and fourteen or twenty eight stranger abductions on the island of Montreal, within the jurisdiction of the Montreal Police Force, in 1993 alone. By my math, that is nothing to brag about. By July 1st, uh, police are beginning to investigate um, not only in all regions of Quebec, but now they've swung their investigation into the adjacent province of uh, Ontario and to the south of Quebec into the United States. And then and then finally, about two weeks um, from the date of her disappearance, around 1 p.m. on Tuesday, Tuesday July 5th, um, a, a guy riding his motorbike on a dirt road um, next to some words uh, off Highway 640 uh, near uh, Mascouche, Quebec, um, um, and uh, uh, Mont-Dumas. He discovers the nude body of a young girl about 20 years of age, and um, he states that he could he could smell, even from his bike, uh, the rotting uh, corpse. Um, he doesn't tamper with the crime scene. He... he he immediately contacts the police, um, and um, it's reported that the site is the same location where um, 
uh, a sexual assault had been reported to the local Maskush police force less than a than a month um, earlier. And and when you look at it on a map, um, they say Maskush, but the the actual location seems closer to Terbonne to me. Um, and uh, you know just parking lot this uh, piece uh, Terban is significant because um, because years later in 1999 the case we've referred to but never gone into depth with uh, Julie Serpranin that's where she lived and disappeared um, and it's suspected that um, Richard Bouillon who we referred to last episode lived adjacent to her there and Bouillon's now deceased he died of a of cancer in, in in a prison facility but it's widely believed by everyone that Bouillon killed Suprano so in the same in the same uh, re- region um, I, I, as i say i think i think the the Cabay Dam site is much closer to Terban than Mascouche. But uh, hey, you know, that's, um, that's just me. So getting back to this, the Sartre um, de Quebec now, because, because it's in their turf, and the Montreal Urban Police Force are called to the scene. So we have our old friend, um, uh, territorial confusion with agencies immediately. And you can already see how this is a dust-up because the SQ is going to be um, responsible for the recovery investigation in, uh, in in this to the north of Montreal, whereas the, the MUC police's turf is on the island in the urban um, area where, where Melanie disappeared. Um, and they, um, they find um, the body um, completely naked, and uh, she's covered with detritus, with, with wood and uh, construction materials, as they said, with the asphalt shingles. And uh, they're not, at this point, willing to absolutely confirm that it's Cabay, but they do note that the victim is approximately 5 feet tall and 125 um, pounds. And in this uh, particular article that where this information came from, um, again, it, 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 it strongly suggests, even though they don't know who the victim yet is, a connection with, with other um, abductions. And specifically, um, it mentions, uh, again, it mentions uh, Chantal Brochu and uh, Marie-Claude Cote from the uh, previous article. It me- mentions uh, Marie-Eve uh, La Rivière, but then it mentions a, a couple we haven't heard of, um, Joanne uh, Birdouin, who the article says was sexually assaulted and stabbed, Danielle uh, Laplan and Claire Sampson, again the, the women who were in the boutique, it says who were, were um, stabbed and sexually assaulted. And then finally, um, it, it, it references of Valerie Delpe, the woman who was found in pieces in three boxes near um, at a, a landfill in on the island of, of Montreal. We next get to the autopsy, which is performed uh, the next day, and um, it, this actually brings up something curious. So the Quebec case is is to this day a Certe de Quebec. Um, 
cold case. It's still an unsolved case. It's one of the most uh, high-profile cases in recent memory, yet it is not on their cold case website. Um, several other highly prominent cases are are, are there. Uh, Marilyn Bergeron is there, Natalie Goodbow, my sister, of course, but no, no Cabet, which is interesting because um, as recent as a decade ago, I, I know they were actively pursuing this case. They, they issued a, a press release uh, trying to shake the tree. Um, interestingly, in that press release, they said um, they made a statement that says, because of the state of the remains, we're unable to determine the precise cause of, of death. And if you, if you look at the autopsy report from the, the coroner, uh, Dr. Claude uh, Pothel, that's not exactly true. Um, the, the, the coroner states um, quite clearly that uh, Cabet suffered severe trauma to the skull and that she was asphyxiated but he he was unable to determine which had come first, the asphyxiation or the trauma to the skull. I mean, I would suggest to you it could be a bit of both. Also, we we, we have tons, ample evidence in, in all of the, the history we've been looking at here of offenders using strangulation pseudo-sexually to, to incapacitate a victim um, prior to sexual assault and then in some cases going too far and killing them with asphyxiation so i mean point well taken but the uh, it it is it is sort of become forgotten on traditional uh you know internet hives how cabay died well she blunt force trauma to the head and strangulation um now, the, the coroner's report goes on to say um, uh, that because of the state of decomposition, um, they were, in this case, they were unable to determine conclusively whether she was sexually assaulted. That's the coroner's conclusion. But, um, I mean, she was found naked. I think, I think it's whether there was penetration or whatever there was, it's a sex crime. Let's be adult about this. And, and, and finally, the, the, the definitive thing that they're able to, to use to identify um, Cabet is apparently she, she wore in her mouth uh, an orthodontist's uh, apparatus and that, that was found within the oral cavity. Um, and then finally, this article goes on to talk about, um, um, again, two, at, at this point, two recent um, rapes in the vicinity of uh, Mescouche. Um, it, it also um, um, states that um, the gray sweater that uh, was lent to Cabet by her friend was recovered um, uh, at the dump site near, near her body. The following day, the police publish an artist's rendering of um, the individual suspected in the rapes of the 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 women near the uh, Cabay dump site. And um, the police say they they think that there's a link um, because the site's not well known to people. It's off 
the beaten track. Um, and they say that in, in the cases of the two rapes, the, the two girls were both uh, age 20, approximately, and they were, they were hitchhiking back to Montreal uh, when they were picked up by the suspect in what is described as a, a red, or a, actually it says burgundy car, Suspect is about five foot eight, two hundred pounds, blue eyes, um, with um, a mustache, and um, I'll um, post the composite photo um, on the website of the suspect. It's it's interesting. I mean, when I when I look at it, it, um, it looks like a younger ish uh, Richard uh, Bouillon. Now I put this to a friend, and they didn't agree, but. Um, most of the photos of Bouillon we have um, are, are, are quite murky, but I, I, it looks a little bit, to me, like him. The other thing that is, um, I think, purely coincidental, but I'll point it out, is the red or burgundy car. Well, <clears throat> in 2007, uh, Cédric Provencher, the vehicle was reported to be a red or burgundy car. Uh, that's... Um, stretch of the imagination for frankly for me i don't particularly like to stitch all these cases together but i will i will note it as i say i think i think it's coincidental but it is worth uh, it's worth knowing um now in later articles it's interesting that the media are not shy about stating quite forthrightly that cabet was sexually assaulted it's it's used several times and maybe that's a a circumstantial phenomena, or I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure. In um, in the years that followed, for a number of years, for at least um, I think uh, five, um, and, and it may still occur. I'm not sure. Uh, Melanie's uh, family and uh, friends um, on the anniversary of um, her uh, of of her body being discovered. So July 6th, 5th or 6th, I held an annual um, march um, denouncing uh, uh, violence. Um, and there's a picture of the family. I can't read all of it. It's in France. Uh, à la défense de nos victimes, at the defense of our victims. And this is interesting. On this poster board they have, it says, uh, I believe it says, um, who is... Um, who in your government is is going to help? Um, that that's the, one of the signages at one of these rallies for the memory of uh, Melanie Cabet. Um, so a, a couple of a couple of things. Um, what's interesting to me about the Cabet. Uh, Dump site in Mascouche or Terbonne, Terbon, no matter how you want to cut it. Um, it is uh, it is to the north of Montreal, just as the Lynette Gibb uh, site in Assumption is to the north, just as the Sophie Landry dump site uh, is in Saint Roche to the north. They're all within like a little star shaped box, you know, maybe twenty miles away from each other and um what they all have in common is so you know in terms of where they disappeared from they're quite 
geographically distant places. Uh, if you look at uh, Landry from the south shore of Montreal and Longueuil, uh, Quebec um, from the island of Montreal proper, and then uh, Lynette Gibb from Laval um, to the north. And wh what's interesting for me is um, in order to get to any of those, um, those dump sites, um, from those three very disparate locations, Longueuil, Montreal, and Laval, um, you have to, the, the, the only, um, is it egress, uh, entrance, is Highway 640. They all have 640 in common. Um, the only way you can get to Assumption and saint roche dachelin is by traversing Highway 640. And of course, Quebec is found um, in the woods just adjacent to Highway 640. So that's, that's an interesting um, component. Uh, a, a colleague of mine who, um, who studied criminology at um, uh, Laval University in, in Montreal um, said this, the Cabet case was one of the ones that first got her interested in, in criminology. And she was convinced that this, um, it was connected to someone she called the bus station, uh, the bus station killer or rapist. Um, and Cabet was, I thought last seen at a bus stop, but it might actually be a bus terminus. And of course, who else do we know that was last seen at a bus terminus? Well, it was it was um, uh, Sophie Landre um, at the Longay bus terminal. Um, and worth mentioning, so this is now 1994. Uh, the the Landre case took place um, in 1987. Guy Croteau is eventually arrested for the Landre murder, but that's not until 2002. You know, he's got, he's got decades in which to, to be active in these, these matters. Um, so he very possibly could be responsible for um, a number of the other murders we've, we've been discussing um, over the last uh, um, few periods. Um, doesn't in any way discount him. He was, he's, he was, he was out. He was active, and the uh, the police, when he was eventually caught in two thousand and two, convicted two thousand and four, were um, were very, uh, um, I would say, uh, uh, focused on on pinning other other murders on on him. And as as we all always said. Maybe it's a possibility he didn't leave the DNA at the at the crime scene, so they couldn't do it that way. Maybe it's a possibility that they do have the, the DNA, and but they corrupted it in the recovery, or they maybe it's a possibility as we see so often that they tossed it, so they evident uh, through evidence they weren't able to uh, tap uh, Croteau with any of these other crimes. And then, of course, is the the other thing is is. Um, He's not no no Quebec offender is going to admit to a crime when um, eventually you're yeah you're going to be out and uh, mark my words Croteau will be out um, he will be monitored but he'll be out and uh, you wouldn't want to risk your your freedom um, if 
you had no cause uh, to do so. That is the case of Melanie Cabet, tragically murdered in the early summer of 1994. Uh, We'll come back and finish this series up, the um, murders of Maria Chantal Desjardins and Jolil Campo, very shortly. Uh, If you like the pad (laughs) caught... If you like the pad cost, give us a five-star review on iTunes. Um, always much appreciated. Um, and you can find our website at teresalor.com. I'll post visuals from um, this, uh, this, this episode. Um, there's also other ways to engage. There's the Facebook page, Who Killed Teresa, the podcast. You can find me on Twitter at JusticeGuy, at J-U-S-T-U-S-G-U-Y. And also uh, the podcast proper at Teresa Allure. There's a YouTube channel. You just go to YouTube and search on Teresa Allure. You can find all kinds of movies and news reports through the decades on several of these these matters. So, we're done here. This has been Who Killed Teresa? I'm your host, John Allure. Have yourselves a great, great afternoon.
We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Wednesday, October 6th, CSI, the global phenomenon, opens a brand new chapter in Las Vegas. And an existential threat calls the crime lab's legacy and future into question. A brilliant new team of investigators will enlist the help of friends from the past as they deploy the latest forensic techniques to do what they do best, follow the evidence, in order to preserve and serve justice in Sin City and uncover the truth. CSI Vegas series premiere Wednesday, October 6th on CBS.